0: Well, again, welcome here to Big Valley. Welcome over in the, the venue. If you have a Bible, you can turn to um, Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, God gives us uh, the, the template, if you will, for experiencing real happiness while we're, while we're down here on planet Earth. And everybody's searching for that, right? All the dumb seminars that are out there and books that are written and Man, I listened to a podcast this past week that was just so dumb. It was just satanic. It was just evil on how you could experience happiness down here. <laughs> and it, you know, I downloaded, you know, millions of times. I'm thinking, wow, what a, what a waste of 45 minutes of a life to listen to that. And here we have in Matthew chapter five in these few verses, the creator, the one who created you inside your mother's womb, he's telling us right here, here's how you can experience real happiness, real happiness, real joy. Jesus said in verse three, blessed or, or happy are the, are the poor in spirit, and this is where it all begins. This is step one. You, you recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt before God, that you have nothing to offer God and you cry out for him. And when you cry out to God, you know what he comes into your life and nothing will make you more happy than to know that you and God have been made okay. Then Jesus said in verse four, blessed are happier those who mourn and this was all about mourning over your sin. After you cry out to God, you, you start to realize, you, you start to grow in your faith, and you recognize how crummy sin is and what sin did to your own life, your family, how, what sin especially did to, to Jesus. Jesus had to leave the glories of heaven to come here and die on a cross. And you mourn over that. You grieve over that. You're broken over what sin has, has done to you and especially to the Lord. Jesus said this in verse five, he said, blessed are, are, or happy are the meek. After you've cried out to God and you're broken over your sin, you, you just humble yourself before God. You have an attitude where you say, God, you know I understand who you are in relationship to who I am. You're the king and I'm but your subject. You're the master, I'm nothing but your slave. The good news is he's a good slave. He's a good master, I mean. Then Jesus said this in verse six, he said, blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is all about understanding that God has made you right and now you want to live right. You want to live a righteous life, and you can't divorce the scriptures from that. The only way we know what a righteous life looks like is found right here. And so another way you could say that is, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after the word of God, living out the word of God. You see, we don't get to determine what a righteous life looks like, right? He determines what a righteous life looks like, and he's he's told us right here in the scriptures. Now, these first four Beatitudes all have to do with your relationship with God. They're all about how you're to see yourself in light of who God is. They're they're all about how we are to relate to God, because how you relate to God will determine, to a large degree, right, your happiness. But when you get to verse 7, or fifth Beatitude, Jesus is now going to talk about how we relate to people down here. He's gonna move from this, he, now he's gonna talk about how we relate to people because let me tell you something, your happiness determines, is determined a lot by how you relate to others. And the first thing he says here is in verse seven, blessed are the merciful. This is about treating people the way God treated you. I told you last week. Uh, you know, it's a, it's compassion in action. Verse eight says, "Blessed are the pure in heart." This is about keeping your life clean from sin, confession of sin, making sure that the, everything is right. Then you get to verse nine: "Blessed are the the peacemakers," and that's what we're going to talk about today. Blessed are those that are used by God to bring peace between a brother and a sister or you know two brothers or two sisters but more importantly blessed are those who are who use their lives to bring peace between somebody else and God in other words you share your faith with people Then you get to verse 10, last but not least, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. This is the result of living a God-honoring life. You get to experience the same suffering as Jesus suffered, which is a huge privilege. Now, if you really understand these eight verses, they can, they, they, they can revolutionize your life, okay? Now, what's interesting is, is that a lot of Christians never experience this happiness. This divine uh, well-being, if you will, that that, that quote I gave you in the first few weeks that Jesus talks about here. And when or if you don't experience this happiness, it's not God's fault. You gotta look at your own life and say, why why is it that I'm not experiencing this, this happiness? And let me tell you what I, what, what I think happens too often in the church, especially the American church. You, you, you come, people come to, to this, and this is a good thing. God wants his people to do this. He wants us to set aside a special moment when together, as believers, we worship the Lord, we, we sing the same songs together in unity, we, we fellowship together, we serve together, we give together, we hear the word proclaimed together. Th- this is a a, 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 um, a special moment, an important moment. But this isn't the only moment. You see, what happens too often is you're, 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 you're given a meal, and I think a lot of Christians are bulimic, and maybe even before they get out the door, they throw up the meal. It's never been digested. It's never had a, a chance to, um, to, to, to do and accomplish the work that God wanted it to do because you never gave it a chance to digest The the biblical word would be meditate. You find that word all through the Old Testament. You get to the New Testament, you don't find that word, but you certainly find the concept of spending time, letting your mind dwell on these things. It's almost like this sack lunch I have up here. Inside that bag is a great meal. It will give me physical energy. There's caloric intake inside this bag. But it doesn't do me any good inside that bag. No good whatsoever. As great as that peanut butter and jelly sandwich is, it will do me no good. I actually have to open the bag. I actually have to take the sandwich out. I gotta open the little bag here, gotta spend some time eating it. Then I gotta let it digest. It doesn't give me any energy just because it's in my mouth. It doesn't give me any energy even when I swallow it. It has to have time to kind of work its way through my system, if you will. It's kind of like this Bible I got up here. It doesn't do me any good just sitting here. There's a great meal between these two leather-bound covers, just like there's a great physical meal between the, the paper there. But I have got to actually open the paper bag, if you will, And I actually got to read it, study it, and give it time to digest, meditate on it, so that then it can have its intended effect. Christians today, because of modern technology, you know, I think sometimes you run out of here and you know what, some of you already have loaded on your iPods and all that kind of stuff. You know, another message from your favorite preacher on the Beatitudes, right? So you're gonna hear this one, you're gonna run out and listen to another message. Then you're gonna listen to another message and you're just gonna gorge yourself with all this great data. And probably some of your spouses would say, you know, not a bit of it's transforming their life but they, they're just jamming a lot of sandwiches into their mouth. Let me tell you something. You take the word of God, just these few eight verses, the Beatitudes, and you begin to digest it, meditate on them, really, really wrestle around with them. You, 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 you allow them to to guide your life. And you will begin to experience a real happiness, a joy, a divine well-being, if you will. Something unbelievable happens when you just meditate on on the word of God. Real quick, turn to uh, Psalms chapter one, and this is just gonna mess us up, but I don't care. Um, Psalms chapter one. Psalms one one says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. They meditate on it day and and night, they, those that meditate on this, those that take the time to allow it to digest into their system, they're like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. You see, The psalmist is talking about something way more weighty there than I simply, you know, took three minutes before I ran out the door to go to work and read the word. As good as that is. The psalmist is telling us that there is something weighty that happens when you meditate on the word of God. Wow. And then he gives us these two great pictures of what somebody who meditates on God's word is like. And I just wanna encourage you as your pastor, spend some time meditating on these great truths that we're looking at here in Matthew chapter five. So anyway, let, 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 we're, we're gonna put this car into fourth gear now. Okay, you ready to go here? So get your pencils ready to go. Uh, today we're gonna look at verse nine, as I said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. And I wanna begin by sharing with you what a, what a peacemaker is not, okay? It's not pretending that there isn't an issue to be dealt with. It's not running from a problem. It's not avoiding a, a conflict. I don't wanna talk about it. That's not peacemaking, okay? Always giving in isn't peacemaking. Allowing others to run over you isn't peacemaking. Letting the other person always have their way all the time isn't peacemaking. And listen to this one really carefully. Compromising biblical principles for the sake of peace and unity is not peacemaking. Someone said this, peacemaking is not appeasement and it's not avoidance, it's actively seeking to resolve a conflict. That's what it is. It's not appeasement, it's not avoidance. It's actively seeking to resolve a, a, a conflict. Now, why should you care? Why should you care about being a, 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 a peacemaker? Why, why should you care about helping a couple of people out that are in, in conflict with, with one another or whatever? Well, let me give you a few thoughts here, just real quick. I'm gonna rattle through, through these. Unresolved conflict messes up your relationship with God. In 1 John chapter four, the Bible says we, we love each other because God first loved us. If Someone says, hey, I love God, but they hate their Christian brother or sister. That person's just a liar. For if we do not love people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? And he has given us this command. Here it is, it's a command. It's not an idea or a suggestion, it's a command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Here's the deal. When the horizontal isn't right, the vertical isn't right. In other words, when, when you're out of fellowship with, with people, okay, that's the, the horizontal, then, then, then you're going to be out of fellowship with God. The vertical's not going to be right either. Can't be. So it's super important that all of us, all right, peace, with each other, and that we are used, we allow ourselves to be used to help bring peace between a brother and and another brother that might be in conflict, or a sister and a sister who might be in conflict, or or whatever whatever the case may be. Uh, Number two, unresolved conflict messes up your prayers. Peter says this, he says in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, and that simply means that typically, men are stronger physically, or we've got bigger bones, we've got bigger muscles, typically. Um, uh, But she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. Isn't that interesting? It could be that one of the reasons why your prayers aren't being answered is because you're in conflict with your spouse. You see, uh, I, I think he's talking, obviously he's talking to husbands here, but the principle I think plays itself out It could be the other way around. It could be whoever you're in conflict with. God cares deeply about us getting along, loving one another, all those kinds of things. Listen to what Jesus said later on in Matthew chapter five. This is super powerful. He says, He's talking to this group of people and he says, so when you offer your gift to God at the altar and you remember, oh yeah, you know, that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go make peace with that person, and then come and offer your gift. And I want you to know, this is a radical thought. Here Jesus is saying to the people of that day, if you arrive at the temple with your gift in hand or your sacrifice in hand, you got your little goat, you know, or your little pigeon or whatever it is, and you're there to sacrifice it, you're, you're there to make everything right between you and God and you suddenly remember that there's conflict between you and somebody else, Jesus says, leave your sacrifice there and go get right with the person first. Just just think about that. You're there to make things right between you and God. And Jesus says, if you show up to make things right between you and God, and you recognize, you know, I got something against a brother, or a brother's got something against me, he says, don't worry about making things right between you and God. Go take care of that first. Isn't that weighty? Dr. MacArthur said this. He says, Jesus wants you to settle the breach between you and your brother before you try to settle the breach between you and God. Wow. He went on to say this, regardless of who is responsible for the break in the relationship, and often there's guilt on both sides, we should determine to make reconciliation before we come to God in worship. True worship, listen to this. True worship is not enhanced by better music, better prayers, better architecture, or even better preaching. True worship is enhanced by better relationships between those who come to worship. Worship may be improved by our staying away from church until we have made things right with those whom we know our relationship is strained or broken. Wow, I want you to know, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. It could be that your worship of God is enhanced if you don't come. And you take care of this with a brother or sister. Number three, unresolved conflict messes up your, your happiness. Our brother Job penned these words in chapter 18. He says, you may tear out your hair in anger, but will that destroy the earth? You know, will it make the rocks tremble? <laughs> no. One version says you're only hurting yourself with your anger. And boy, isn't that the truth? Doesn't, doesn't anger just mess you up when you're just angry about something? <laughs> Maybe it's just me. Let me me just tell you something. When I get angry, man, it's it's just crazy. It really does mess with my happiness. We need to learn how to resolve conflict at home, at work, at school, with our friends, with our kids, with our spouse. Look, when when Aaron and I are in conflict, my wife and I are in conflict, I just want you to know I'm just miserable. Just miserable. That, that, that's why I, I can't let it go, but you know, for a few seconds, because I'm just miserable. Now, I can try to act cool, it's no big deal. I'm fine. But inside, I'm just miserable. When I'm in conflict with my kids, I'm miserable. When I'm in conflict with, with someone that I work with, I'm just miserable. When I'm in conflict with just about anybody, I'm just miserable. And we need to learn how to deal with things. Let me tell you what happened last night. So I'm in the altar room, and we gather on on Saturday nights, an hour before, and spend time praying. And we gathered this morning, everybody, and we pray. And So last night I get done, we get done with prayer, and Bobby Kirchner comes to me and says, hey, listen, I was talking with so-and-so, friend of mine, brother of mine, I love the guy, and he loves me. And he said, hey, you really really hurt him. I left him a message about something. And I know that's shocking to some of you because I'm such a loving soul. I just have this loving way about me and how somebody could misunderstand a, 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 a voicemail. I don't know. I said, you got, you're kidding me. I literally, right there. He normally comes on Saturday night. I call him and left a message on his phone. And I went, oh no. Uh, okay, here, here's it. So, So the service starts and I'm, I, I know where he sits. Norma sits right over here. I don't see him. So I'm out in the children's ministry, like hiding behind a bush, like I'm a creeper. Just because I didn't want people to see me because I didn't want to start. I didn't want to get into a conversation. I'm looking for one guy, one guy. And all of a sudden I see him and it's getting very close to me. He's supposed to come up and do this little table talk time, which you know what? I don't care about it this moment that is so secondary to the fact that I got a brother who I know I've hurt. So he's coming down the hallway, parks out there, and I jump out of the bush, you know, hey! He goes, hey, what's going on? I said, he, you know, surfaces. what are you doing? I said, come here. I said, it was brought to my attention that I really hurt you. And I said, I'm just, I'm just really, really sorry, man. Would you forgive me for that message I left you? And he goes, yeah, man. And we're hugging out there. It was like a love fest. It was like, you know, unbelievable. <laughs> two, two bros, man. And we hugged, and he came up and sat right up here. Now, here's the thing. I had already told God when I was hiding in the bush, God, if, if, if I don't see him tonight, he'll be here in the morning, you know. If I don't see him tonight, God, I'm telling you. I, 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 will, I will call him back tonight, I'll see him tomorrow. God, I promise you, I will get to him and I will make this right, God. Because I'm thinking I may have to come up here and preach. And I understand what the scriptures say, I get it. It's important to God. And it was an unbelievably beautiful moment where the enemy, you know what, didn't win. Now now with this said, let's take a closer look at the the peacemaker, okay, just real quick here. Number one, a peacemaker knows and has a relationship with the God of peace. That's kind of where it begins, okay? The Bible opens with peace. You know, Genesis chapters one and two, it opens with peace, peace in the garden. The Bible closes with peace. We're gonna be in glory with the Lord. It's everything in between that's all goofed up, right? Right? You hit Genesis chapter three, sin enters into the world and wow, it has messed up the world. Everything from Genesis three to the very end of the Bible. It's all this sin that has goofed things up. It, It brought conflict into the world and it messed up everything. Sin made you and I enemies of God. Sin brought you and I into conflict with the creator. To be a peacemaker, you must first make peace with, with your maker, you see. Now, that's where it begins. Now, how exactly do you make peace with your maker? Well, Romans chapter 5 makes it pretty clear. The Bible says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we've been made right by our belief. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, because of our belief, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter five, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. See, we were his enemies because of sin we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. I asked the worship team, and Scott's voice went out on him uh, 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 this week, and he sang last night, and it just kind of broke up on him. And So the options were, I lead us in singing, <laughs> and that's not a good option. Or, you know, they tweak some things around a little bit, but they were at least able to sing one of my favorite songs. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. You see, I was in conflict with God because of sin. I was an enemy of God because of sin. But He sent His beautiful Son to die for me. And when I put my trust and my faith and my hope in Him, everything changed. There was no more conflict between God and I. We were now made friends. Look, the, your relationship with God is the most important relationship you'll ever have. And if you mess, it up, nothing else really matters. Now, I've met a lot of people who think that they have peace with God, but really all they have is what I might call a, a ceasefire. They have a truce, and there's a big difference. They would say something like this, God, you know what, I, I don't have a problem with you. That might be some of you. you. You just stay on your side of the fence, and I'll stay on my side of the fence. You, you hang up uh, up there with all the angels and, and you do whatever it is you got to do. You know you want to talk through Rick, you do all that. Just leave me alone down here. I'll run my own life. I'll be the CEO of, of my life. I don't, I don't want you involved in my life or my business. I don't want you involved in my relationships. I don't want you involved in any of that, God. You don't bother me, you know, I won't bother you, beloved. That's not making peace with God. You're still an enemy of God. What you've basically done is just forged a truce, and it's not gonna last. You see, here's the deal. We all know what a ceasefire is, right? When, when two countries sign a document, a ceasefire, that's just a, a moment for everybody to reload. Really, and if you think You've made peace with God because you, you know, have this peace treaty with him. No, 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 no. <laughs> There'll come a moment you will stand before him. And things won't go well. You don't you don't make a peace treaty with God. When you understand that you're poor in spirit, that you're that you're spiritually bankrupt before him and you call out to him, that's when everything begins. Not saying, hey, listen, God, I, I, it's obvious there has to be a God, and I, maybe, I don't know where you're at, but just, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm golden. You can work in all these people's lives. Just stay out of mine, okay? You're just fooling yourself. You haven't made peace with God. You're still an enemy of God. The great prophet Isaiah said this. He said, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's it. So let me ask you an important question before I go on. Have you made peace with God? Have you restored your friendship with God? Have you resolved the conflict that sin brought between you and God? Have you done that? I have. I have most of you in this room have I, I know but maybe there's one of you maybe there's one of you over in the venue maybe you're watching online and you you you, you know you're thinking to yourself you know what no as soon as this gathering's over with you can go into the altar room here the altar room over in the venue you could call the 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 the, the church on on monday man we'd love to talk with you we'd love to lead you in a, a time of prayer where you surrender your life over to christ and you become a friend of his then at that moment. Number two, a peacemaker introduces others to the God of peace. Christians aren't an elite group of people who have been spiritually you know, you know, saved and they've arrived and now they look down on everybody else. Unfortunately, I think that's what a lot of Christians think or that's certainly how they act. See, all we are is a bunch of sinners who were in conflict with God, and now we're commissioned by him to tell others how they too can have peace with God. You see, I'll bet every single person in this room, I'll bet every one of you, every one of you over in the venue, every one of you watching online, God brought somebody into your life. It could have been your mother, it could have been your grandmother, it could have been a buddy at school, at college. It could have been uh, you went to a Billy Graham crusade and you listened to Billy Graham. Maybe you saw Billy Graham on TV. Maybe you came here on a weekend. You heard me talk about it. Maybe somebody showed up at your door. Maybe it was a buddy of yours. But everybody in this room heard about Jesus Christ, heard about how they could become friends with God through the voice of somebody else. Now, God doesn't need to use you. He He could do what he did with Paul. Paul was just making his way on the road to Damascus and God spoke, knocked him off his horse, God saved him, he didn't use anybody. But that's, that's not typically how God does things. He uses people. One of those people that God used in my life is sitting right back there, I point him out all the time, George Brown, when he was working at Youth for Christ and I was going to Davis High School, I didn't know the Lord. There was no peace between God and I. Now, I was one of those guys that, you know, I felt I, I, I made it, I had a peace treaty with them. I didn't, I, I wasn't hostile to the things of God. You people all want to gather and sing your dumb little songs, do it. I didn't care. I, I, God, you, you stay there, I'll stay here, and we'll, we'll make this thing work. It wasn't until men like George Brown and others opened their mouths and told me how I could make peace with God. No, they didn't word it that way. Uh, George was a peacemaker. And let me just tell you something. And I'm looking at some of our evangelists that are in this room. and Roger Sweer over here, and there's a number of you. Let me tell you something. Anybody who's ever opened their mouth and shared the gospel with somebody else, and that person has prayed to receive Christ, let me just tell you something. There is no joy, no happiness like that moment when you go, whoa, I was used by God. He didn't need me but he allowed me to be the one who shared this unbelievable message, and they prayed, and at that moment, I was used to be a peacemaker between a person and God. Let me just tell you something. You can hardly go to bed at night, can you? I mean, it just just keeps you up. Even when they reject you. Yeah, you have to get past your flesh, and they reject you. They think they rejected you, and they didn't reject you, but at some moment, you go, whoa! I still got to share. I tried to be a peacemaker. I tried. When was the last time you opened your mouth and you told someone else about the the Prince of Peace? Think about it. You see, it's real easy you know, you get saved and you start coming to church and you start fellowshipping with other Christians and you only hang out with Christians and you only do things with Christians and you only drink milk from the Christian cow. I mean, and just, and the whole thing, you know. The, we're, just, we're just all around Christians. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I have most of my friends. I would say 95.9% of all my friends are Christians. nothing wrong with that. But I always make sure, God, you know, I'm praying. Bring, bring, bring somebody into my life who doesn't know the Lord that I might be a peacemaker. I get to do it here all the time on the weekends in a very grand sense. When was the last time you prayed and and asked God, God, would you give me an opportunity? Would you bring somebody in my life? Hey, maybe you ought to be strategic about it and go join a health club, go, go join something and say, my point isn't that I get in shape necessarily. Or how about the next time you go out golfing with your foursome, you go out with a, a, a strategy in mind that you know what, I know Joe or Billy or Tommy or Julie, they don't know the Lord. And I've gotta be a little bit more strategic in this, not just bringing down my handicap, but maybe I might be able to do what the Lord says and be. I, I could be a peacemaker I could bring peace between this person I'm golfing with or playing tennis with or sewing with. or I don't care what you do with them, but you're strategic about it. Three and four kind of go hand in hand. A peacemaker helps bring peace between others who are in conflict. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, God has called us to live in, in, in peace. There's all kinds of passages in the Bible that talk about this idea that we're to live in peace, and one of the things that we're to do is to help people that are in conflict. Hey, how can I help you? Let me pray for you, whatever all that might be. And then number four, a peacemaker works hard at keeping peace in their own relationships. And I, I, I like those two words, works hard, because it's hard at times. Here's the deal. You're a sinful person and you're gonna interface with other sinful people. Your best friend, your best buddy, your best golfing buddy, whoever, they're sinful. As I told you last week, your spouse is sinful, your kids are sinful, your parents are sinful. Everybody in this room is sinful. The person sitting next to you, ooh, sinful. I'm sinful, we're all sinful because of Genesis 3 which means or it's gonna be hard. It, it, it takes some juice to keep things right between you and your spouse, you and your buddies. This person last night, I want you to know something. As I was driving home last night, I started thinking, you know what? I think I, I, I now noticed that he was a little bit distant. And this is a guy, man, he's like a brother. He's been at this church as long as I have. Him and I have played lots of sports together, been to go, hang out together, love his family but it's weird how, how something got in there. Now the thing that's really cool about dudes usually is we just get together, hey, hug, and we're good, we're golden, you know, we're done. Let's go play golf, we're fine. But it's hard work. Cost you something. Cost you your ego. Cost you your, your pride. Gotta be selfless. And when two people just do what the Bible says, I had a role to play last night. Man, I'm so sorry, brother, man. Would you forgive me? I didn't try to defend myself. I could have. Just, oh man, all I know is I, I I hurt you, man. Would you, would you, would you forgive me? And then he had a role to play. Yeah, man, I forgive you, dude. Come on, man. And it's two people humbled themselves, put their egos aside and all that stuff, and it was just it was just a beautiful thing. So let me give you. Uh, Uh, six things, just real practical things uh, that you can do to bring peace. Just six practical things. And let me just say this. You won't always be able to have peace between you and a brother or sister. Sometimes the other person doesn't want the peace. But that doesn't mean you're not to try. Okay? Look, Jesus was the Prince of Peace and he ends up on a cross. So even the Prince of Peace couldn't you know, make everybody like him, that's not the point. But we're to try, Jesus came for everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but they would have everlasting life. Some people said, I don't want the Prince of Peace, man. I I don't want him. But he offers his peace to, 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 to anybody. So here we go, first thing you gotta do is pray. Okay, you gotta pray. Pray for the person or the persons that are in conflict. James chapter five says the prayer of a righteous man or a righteous person is powerful and effective. Before you do anything, you need to pray. And let me just tell you something. When I made that phone call last night, hung up the phone, I'm in prayer. Oh God, I'm just so sorry. God, would you go before me and would you work in so-and-so's heart? And I already knew knew it was a no-brainer. I already knew what the guy was gonna do. I already knew but I'm still praying. Always wanna pray. Uh, Number two, you gotta plan a time to meet. You know, you gotta, it's it's the one moment where you take out your smartphone and take the calendar out and, hey, I wanna meet. I I tried to make the phone call and say, I wanna meet you in my office before the service starts. Uh, You gotta have a time to meet because if you don't have a time to meet, it's not, not gonna fix itself on its own. Number three, you got to care about the other person's feelings. They may be irrational, and oftentimes feelings are, but you still have to care about them. It would have been easy for me to go, oh man, what's the guy's nuts? He's crazy. He totally misunderstood my voicemail. Uh, He he just totally blew this thing. His feelings aren't worth anything. No. All that mattered was he felt a particular way, good enough. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter two, each of you should look not only at your own interests, but also the interests of others. So it wasn't about me, it was about his interests. That's what I, that's what I was you know, worried about. Number four, attack the issue, not the person, okay? It was, it's easy to get into a, this moment and you're going after the soul. You don't want to go after the soul. Just whatever the issue is, make sure you stay right there. The Bible says a, a gentle answer quiets anger, but a harsh word will stir one up. Uh, number Number five, find some common ground. You know, when there's some sort of conflict, look, I, I know you feel a particular way. I know they feel a particular way, but man, you, you got to find some, some common ground. Tell you what, the, the three most difficult words in the English language might be uh, "I was wrong." Well, isn't that hard? Our flesh doesn't like to say that. Just you dig in. And he, he, here's the weird thing, especially I'm talking to the guys. Isn't it weird how you know you're wrong? You know it. You're just totally busted. But you won't admit it, and you're looking like even a greater fool. And thank God your your woman loves you anyway. And you're and you're just you're just digging a deeper hole because your pride, instead of just going, I was wrong, and then letting your wife go. Yeah, I know you're wrong. I still love you anyway. Come here, give me a hug, give me a kiss. Let's make up. Let's make this thing right. You know. The two most difficult words are probably, I'm sorry. Boy, two little words. Five most difficult words are, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Isn't it weird how those five words are just so hard? It's crazy, it's just crazy. Uh, number, Number six, reconciliation, not resolution, is the goal. Okay, Reconciliation focuses on the relationship, resolution, focuses on the, on the problem. Look, here's the deal. Two good, godly people can have honest differences about some topic. The goal isn't to make sure that that person is gonna agree with you. And if that doesn't happen, you know what, we're not gonna go anywhere, this is over with. That's not the goal. If there's a conflict, look, we, we want reconciliation to, to be the, the issue here. You know, one of the things, there's a great story in the Bible, it's found in, in Acts chapter 15, and I'll end with this little story. You had these two great men, the Apostle Paul and this man named Barnabas. And they were great friends. They had even gone on a missions trip together. They get back from the missions trip, and they decided, hey, let's go on a second mission trip. We can go back to some of the churches we planted, we can encourage them, do all that kind of stuff. And uh, on the first trip, they took a kid named Mark with them. And uh, I don't know, about halfway into the missions trip, he got scared and he left them. He came running home with his tail between his legs. He was a fraidy cat. So now they're gonna go on their second trip. And Barnabas says, oh, this is fantastic, Paul. I'll go get Mark and we'll take off and we'll go encourage churches and plant new churches. And Paul goes, no, 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 hold on here a second. I'm not taking that kid. That kid blew it. That kid was afraid. I don't want to burn any more juice on that kid. And the Bible says that a sharp disagreement arose amongst these two great men. They didn't agree. In fact after that sharp disagreement, they're never mentioned in Scripture ever again together. Now, it's not to say they weren't together, but after that moment, they're not mentioned together in Scripture anymore. Now, I want you to know, I think both of them were right. I could could do a great sermon on why Barnabas was right to give Mark a second chance. I could give you a great sermon as to why Paul was right to say, hey, listen, you know what? He, he, he had his chance, and, and uh, we, we can't afford have cowards on the trip. I, 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 think, I think they both are right. My point is is this. In the Christian life, you're going to have people you don't agree with on something, some issue. Should we raise taxes or lower taxes? I don't know. You know what, we could have a great discussion on that. There's a lot of things we can disagree on. And when there's conflict, the goal isn't that that person's gotta agree with you. The goal is, you know what, we can just agree to disagree on this and you're still my sister in the Lord, my brother in the Lord, because that's what's critical. Jesus said, if you want the world to know that you're one of my disciples, Here's the great distinguishing mark, it'll be your love for one another. See, it's a pretty ugly thing to have two Christians that are at odds with one another, screaming and yelling, and it's, it's ugly, it stinks. It's just, ooh, why would I, why would I want to become a part of their family? Well, I got enough problems with my own family, why would I want to join that family of God thing? Look at them all yelling and screaming at each other. No thank you. What we want the world to see is, you know what, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord and we love each other, and the world goes, wow, boy, those believers got something really neat in common. They take care of each other, they love each other, they fellowship together. Like Joel, when there's a need that goes on, bam, they're all over it like a cheap suit, taking care of each other. That's a beautiful testimony to the world, you see? Hey, over in the venue, stand up, everybody here, stand up. okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for today. and just really, really enjoyed the great music. I enjoyed a chance to, to give and pray and share some of the things that are going on here with the buildings that we need. And now, Lord, God, speak to us as we go fellowship. Lord, may people go out and just walk around, talk to those agencies out there, and who knows, Lord, may, maybe your Holy Spirit will move in someone's life. And instead of there being 600 people Children without homes. Maybe today, God, because of what's happening here, there'll be five hundred and ninety-nine. And that would be a great thing. Maybe there'll be five hundred and ninety-eight. Maybe there'll be maybe will be five hundred and fifty. I don't know, Lord. But I believe you're gonna work in someone's life. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness, and I pray this in your name. And all the guys people said, Amen. Amen. Hey Lord bless you.